From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Stay tuned after the episode for a quick announcement. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. I'm Jonathan Moriarty. Joining me this week are Steve Tassi. Hola. And Scott Moyle. Hi there. And we have something new for season two. Every month in season two of the Snakes Cast, we're going to close out the month, last episode, with something we're going to call Guru Voodoo. We're going to have a situation, some scenario of a group of people, a table full of people at Snakes and Lattes, who want a certain kind of thing. They're not quite sure what it is, but they've got some ideas. And we have to recommend stuff to them. And we have to explain why we're going to recommend that stuff to them. Incidentally, if you want to do a sort of a uh, you know, listener mail sort of thing, if you want to chime in on Twitter or in the forums on BoardGameGeek.com, this is a great thing to chime in about. So here's our situation for our inaugural Guru Voodoo. You got a table. On this table, there are four guests, two male, two female. They want to play a two against two game, 2v2 in teams. You ask them what kind of games they like. They like Taboo. They like Settlers of Catan. They like Risk. They like Catchphrase. You ask them if there's any particular flavor of game they'd like. Well, they're open to any kind of game, but you have a feeling that they might actually be a bit pickier than they're letting on. You know how when they say, oh, we'll play anything, but they don't actually mean that. They never, play. ever mean they that. They never actually <laughs> mean that. That's a fact. So, uh, what are you going to bring to their table? As many different options as possible. <laughs> I will. I'll, I always like to bring three. Yeah, I'll load up with with two to four games that are that I think might work, that are completely different, and that uh, that I think might fit. And I'll I'll explain. Like I I think you might like this one because it relates to this thing you said. This one's from left field, but it relates to that other thing you said. That's good guru best practices right there. You know, if a few people aren't quite sure what they want, and you, the, the games that you should bring to recommend should be very, very different from each other. So what are some titles that you might bring to this table? Phantom Society is a right-out-of-the-box 2v2 game where two players... That just came out at Gen Con this year, right? Uh, yeah, it's a new one. I haven't uh, had the chance to learn it yet. Tell us about it. So two players uh, will be the ghosts, and two players will be the ghost hunters. Uh, and it takes place in a uh, oldie-timey Victorian Scottish hotel... Uh, that is trying to rid itself of the ghosts because the ghosts are trying to destroy the place. Ghosts want to uh, trash the rooms in order to cause a certain amount of uh, So you get to go damage. all poltergeisty and destroy yeah. hotel yeah. rooms? The ghost hunters are pretty much like uh, the Ghostbusters in the Sedgwick Hotel, trashing the joint to find <laughs> the ghosts. The catch is, when they destroy a room, if they didn't find a ghost... Well, they just helped the ghosts. But if they did find a ghost, the damage they did doesn't count towards the damage total <laughs> the ghosts are trying to accumulate. Yeah, the win condition is a certain value of property damage <laughs> for the ghosts. Whereas the win condition for the hunters is just find the four ghosts. So it actually is the scene from Ghostbusters with Egon going with the party. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> Don't cross the streams. Yes. How, how is it to teach? Is it, uh, is it easy to get going with? Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite easy. The setup is frankly the most complicated part of the game, and mm -hmm. it's not that complicated. Yeah, you need to get two people at the table to uh, to close their eyes and cover their ears or go to the bathroom or uh, because the ghosts set up their ghost tokens underneath some of the components, some of the rooms on the board. So the, the whole group builds the hotel by laying out rooms on a grid and then the ghosts hide their four ghost tokens underneath 
various rooms. So it's got it's like a three D sort of game with tiles underneath tiles. Uh, yeah, to an extent. I mean, it's it's very two dimensional uh, in its play, but hidden beneath four of those tiles are the ghost tokens. Would you would you say this is sort of like a medium weight kind of game? Uh, pretty light. It's pretty light. Well, supposing it's not light enough, then supposing you also want to bring them something that's. Uh, bit easier, more of a party game type of thing, or maybe a, a family game type of thing. Ooh, time is up. Uh, for that, I would roll out Time's Up. It's, uh, it's an interesting game. Uh, like Catchphrase, which was, I believe, one of, their, uh, one of their go-tos, you need an even number of people to play it. You're working with the person across from you. You're trying to get them to say a thing. Um, so you get a card, and on the card there's a thing. A exactly. person, a title of something, whatever. Um, you'll be working with a deck of, I believe it's 10 cards per player. So with these four people, they'd be playing with 40 cards. You can make it longer or shorter if you yeah, want. Yeah, absolutely. And they've had a chance, each person has had a chance to go through and veto a few cards. If there are a few that are just not going to work for them, those will be gone. Um, and you're playing the entire game with uh, with that same stack of cards in three rounds. You're going you're gonna to go through all of the cards every round. Round one, you're allowed to kind of say and do whatever you like to, uh, to, to get your partner to guess the thing. So I might say uh, he's, he's the bad guy from Peter Pan. He, he's on a... a Captain a Hook. Show. There we go, Captain Hook. Great, cool. Moving on to the next card. Next round, you're working with the same cards, um, but you're only allowed to say one word. Now, if I just said pirate, outside of the context of the game, you'd never go Captain Hook, or you're not likely to anyway. But because we already know Captain exactly. Hook is in Based the list. Based on that context we built up, he was the only pirate in the list, you might say Captain Hook. And round three, this doesn't work for radio, but you can't say anything at all. All <laughs> you can do is gesture, point. you can kind of make noise, but you can't speak. Uh, so I might just, you know, make the gesture of a hook hand. Um, I've had one round where the clue was Bob Dylan, and the final round clue was somebody miming a guitar while going, <laughs> we got it. We got it right away. <laughs> but it's neat because you're guessing a little bit based on, you know, can you guess stuff, and a lot based on the context you built up last round. Right, if somebody said something weird in the middle of a particular clue, that suddenly that now means That's this. the iconic yeah. word, even if it's a total non sequitur. It's really interesting for that. Okay, so we've got a sort of a light family game. We've got uh, an ultralight party game. What if they want something more involved, more of a gamer-ish? sort of thing, as, as a third possibility. I would give them Last Night on Earth, because for four players, it is a 2v2 game. You have two players teaming up as the zombies, and you have the other two players teaming up as the humans, controlling a total of four human characters on the board. Uh, the game is more involved than the other ones that we've talked about, because there's a lot more rules about movement and combat and... Uh, how you get cards and uh, but if you want something like that, you want to but if you want something, something a little crunchier, little crunchier uh, it's definitely in the uh, in the Ameritrash world of games. Uh, it is it is not a slick Euro uh, kind of game, but it is what they're looking for theoretically. It is two v two. It's got some meat on the bones, uh, and I think it's just a cool game. I like it a lot. The players playing the the heroes are going to have a little bit more to do as well. So if there's one of the two teams that looks like they want something a bit lighter, a bit easier, you give them the zombies, and they'll have a bit of an easier time of it because there's less rules they have to remember, right? Yeah, yeah. So that'll help a bit. 
Um, I would roll out, it's not explicitly a 2v2 game, but Blockus, Blocus, mm. Blurkus, whatever. <laughs> we all pronounce it different ways. But the, the one with the colorful Tetris-y shaped pieces that you take turns putting them on the board. So Blocus uh, plays two to four people, and the four-player version is we each take a color and we're all working on our own thing, trying to block other people out and, you know, be, be inconvenient to the other players. The two-player game involves I take two colors, you take two colors, and they're working from opposite corners. Well, <laughs> Very you can easily play done. the two-player version with four people. I take red, you take blue. We're sitting across each other, but using the rules for the two-player version, we are working together. And interestingly, my partner. Yeah, exactly. Um, works extremely well because in, in Blocus with two people, you can use those two different colors to sort of seal up gaps in your, your lines. That works in, in an even more interesting way in a team game. It's really effective for that, actually. The, uh, one of the that, uh, that, I'm, that I actually had some success with when I had this, a similar situation was 1775 Rebellion, and please don't run away screaming. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those really, really light war games. It's the American Revolution. Uh, you've got two American players versus two British players, and it's dead simple. On your turn, all you have to do is play a card that tells you how many groups of guys you can move and how far they can move. If you land in a space with his enemies, you take turns rolling dice until one side is wiped out. But there's plenty of room for strategy and tactics for those who want to go looking for it. Terrific little piece of work. And um, finally, if you, want to, if you want to get nerdy, then Conquest of Nerath is mm -hmm. basically Dungeons and Dragons Risk, but better in a lot of ways. It is a 2v2 game. You've got humans and elves versus orcs and undead. It works really well. You've got, uh, in addition to armies clashing on the board, you've got dungeons out there as well. And some of your troops are adventurers, and they can go into the dungeons and fight monsters and get magic items, which make your armies more powerful. So, If you're really hardcore, <laughs> you could, anytime your adventurer figures, go in and dig down into one of those dungeon spaces, set the game aside, move to another table, play <laughs> some D&D to simulate the contents of that. This is a bad idea. Or, or dungeon roll. Play dungeon roll instead. It's faster. Yeah, fair enough. Or but, you could just roll a die for each yeah. adventure or that's there and see if you, you win. You could just use the mechanics that the game gives you. Like, Which yes. would be, if you're a loser, you could yeah, do that, totally I suppose, or some sort of casual... <laughs> but speaking of Risk, mm -hmm. there is a version of Risk that is 2v2, and that's oh, the right. Lord of the Rings Risk. Really? Uh, yeah, it is, it's a four-army game. Uh, two of them are good guy armies, two of them are bad guy armies, and when you're playing with a full four people, you are teamed up with the other army that is on your side of the conflict. I don't know, I can't play Lord of the Rings Risk without thinking I could be playing War of the Ring right now. Uh, which you can also play a four-person 2v2 game of. Uh, they do give you rules for that. That's true. I believe the uh, the good guys, one team controls the, uh, the Gondorians and the elves, and the other good guy is... Uh, Rohan and the dwarves and maybe the man of the north. Exactly. And then the bad guys, it's Sauron's dudes and Saruman's dudes, basically. And it actually works pretty well. I would imagine. I, I love War of the Ring. I've only ever played it with two. Absolutely not a game that you'll ever bring out at Snakes because the board is large enough to cover about three of our tables. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try some deep guru voodoo here. They mentioned Settlers of Catan, which means they probably have also played Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride and these other light European-style games. Did you know there is an expansion set for Ticket to Ride called Team Asia, where you play in teams. This is exciting. Team Asia? It is a... Th well... It sounds like superheroes. It kind of does. Or like the train um, should form up into a robot. Yes. <laughs> Especially since on the opposite side of the board you have Legendary Asia. Right. Oh, Alvin and Dexter. The Alvin and Dexter expansion, which is where two uh, giant monsters are trashing their way around whatever board you're playing them on. It's <laughs> compatible with any of them. 
Alvin and Dexter was originally going to be part of Legendary Asia because the designer wanted to put Gojira coming out of the bay. <laughs> and the mechanic wasn't really a fit, and thematically it wasn't quite what they were doing. Um, turns out that's not quite what Days of Wonder meant when they asked him to do Legendary Asia. Uh, but right. he went, well, can I just do a thing where there are two weird monsters? <laughs> so now it's this thing where you get King of Tokyo in your ticket to ride. Anyway, it, it came out of that. Fun bit of trivia. That is super neat, actually. But uh, well, with Ticket to Ride Asia, it's, it, it comes with those little racks to put your cards in, kind of like the ones that we usually use for Hanabi. And um, each player's got their, got, each team rather has a rack in front of them, which you sit beside your partner, and you also have a hand of cards, which you are not allowed to show to your teammate. Either of you can use the cards on the rack, but only you can use the cards in your hand, and you are not allowed to discuss your strategy. You have, oh. to, Im you have to imply based on your situation that don't take the white card from the rack i really need the white card. don't oh you took the white card why did you do that so it's i it's really a, want to play that it's it's a different sort of tension and something that's very uh, that kind of takes ticket to ride into an unusual place cool any others you want you'd want to bring up for this just last night one of our other gurus todd uh taught me the bioshock board game i think it's called bioshock infinite the siege of columbia that is a long title yes uh well it's a long game um, it is, it's designed as a two-player. It's another one of those war games that's two players, but the good guys come in light blue and dark blue, and the bad guys come in right. red and maroon, and so you can split off and play a, a team game with it. They and did mention they liked Risk at this table. Yep, well, and it's very, uh, it's very satisfying. There is, it has a little bit of Risk's DNA in terms of holding continents is a big deal. I mean, they're, they're floating islands, they're not continent scale. Um, Same thing, basically, though. Yep. And it does involve rolling mitfuls of dice uh, and comparing them. Uh, it has a little more of a, an economic engine. Um, and the neat thing is the cards, each card represents a troop in your army. But each card can be three different things. Either you play it as money, and it just generates silver eagles, which you spend on putting stuff on the board. You play it for its voting power, in which case it lets you uh, attempt to win the, the sort of issue vote that shows up every round, which will involve something that you usually need to go your way, or you can play them as cards to boost uh, in combat, and you only get five cards to last you through the entire round. So you really are deciding, do I want to let the political side of it go and focus on just getting money and armies on the board? Do I want to have a big military turn with the understanding that I'll be broke at the end of it? Sounds pretty heavy. It's, uh, it's, it's fairly heavy, but very satisfying. Hmm. Well, that is our first attempt at Guru Voodoo. We hope you enjoyed this inaugural attempt. If you would like to present to us an impossible table full of people with bizarre, contradictory demands and want to see what if we can work our, voodoo, our guru voodoo on them. Guru voodoo? Guru voodoo? Yeah, the guru voodoo, 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 voodoo that you do. <laughs> voodoo? <laughs> Hodor. Hodor. <laughs> oh, wow. And on that note, thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Give us your guru voodoo requests on Twitter or on the forums at BoardGameGeek.com or on Facebook or wherever else social media is found. Till then... I'm Jonathan Moriarty with Steve Tassie and Scott Moyle. Sayonara. Pirate. Game on. If you're of legal drinking age and you've enjoyed Toronto's premier board game cafe, you'll definitely want to come out on February 1st to see the grand opening of Snakes and Loggers, Toronto's premier board game bar. With an all-new menu, a wide selection of local craft beer on tap, and the great games you expect from us. We'll see you there at 488 College Street West. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.